Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, we want to look in Malachi chapter 1 today. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And so you can, if you go to Matthew, just go a little bit to your left. There you go. You have found Malachi chapter 1. Today, we are going to talk about love misunderstood. And the reason we want to talk about love misunderstood today is because the secular culture, through all sorts of media and mediums, it attempts to shape our view of what true love is. Whether it be through movies, whether it be through TV, novels, or even music, it describes a love that is worldly. It describes a love that is very me-centered, a love that is very self-focused. And when that happens, uh, when, we, when we as Christians, we, we kind of take all that in, we're inundated with this worldly way of thinking, we begin to assimilate the culture's concept of love into our understanding of God, about His love. And we interpret our experiences through the lens of the world rather than through the lens of Scripture. You can see this type of love in so many of the love songs of the past decades. So you get songs like, I Love Me by Demi Lovato. You are told to love yourself by Justin Bieber or Love Myself by Haley Steinfeld. Well, if you don't mind me using some very bad puns, using uh, some love songs, this worldly and selfish love is so emphasized constantly by the culture that we begin to become addicted to love, or at least the version that the culture is pushing. It becomes such an obsession with us that people are constantly looking for someone to love rather than seeking God. And so our Christian youth are left with conflicting concepts, and they want to know what love truly is. There are even Christian leaders out there who downplay other truths of Scripture to proclaim the message of pop psychology that all you need is love. And on and on it goes. And because that they don't follow Scripture's concept, it can be said, and this is probably the worst pun of all, they give love a bad name. So yes, those are terrible puns, but I hope that you understood the point. Our culture is a culture that is so obsessed with its own version of love. And we Christians have become so saturated by the culture that we expect God's love to be like the love of the culture, like the love that we have in all those songs. And so really what's being pushed is this romanticized kind of love. We're pushing this romanticized kind of love unto God. And then when God's love doesn't meet our expectations, we're left in despair. And it's all because we have misunderstood what God's love truly is. We need to allow the Bible to define for us what God's love is. And now obviously that is a big subject. You're not going to, in one sermon, describe every aspect of God's love. And so, you know, you just kind of have to pinpoint it. So we're just going to pinpoint it here in Malachi and see what God's love is all about according to the book of Malachi. And what we find in the book of Malachi 
is that the Israelites, they doubted God's love because they misunderstood God's love. And so Malachi is used of God to instruct them what the nature of love truly is. And what I want us to grasp today is that a correct theological understanding of God's love is going to lead to a stronger foundation of faith. So we have that faith in those times when, you know, circumstances in life just seem to be so hard and we begin, we begin to question God's love. We're questioning God's love because we don't fully understand it. And so I want to read the first five verses of the book of Malachi. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these five verses. And this is what God inspired through Malachi. The oracle of the word, word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I do pray that we do see your greatness and we see your love for what it truly is and how you express that love toward us so that we know what to expect, what to think of, and just praise you for it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to give you some context today. So Malachi received these messages after the Medo-Persian Empire had allowed the Israelites to return to their homeland after, you know, they were in captivity by the Babylonians and such. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they led the people to not only rebuilding the city and re rebuilding the wall, but they also led them to rebuild their foundation of faith. They, they led them to rebuild their religious fervor, their spiritual fervor, and their love for God. And yet, even after God had blessed them, in so many different ways, the people started getting kind of a nonchalant attitude toward God. And they began to, began to doubt God's presence and love because God wasn't doing what they thought he should do. And so God confronts them about their attitude and about what they were doing in response to what they thought was a lack of love. And so there's just three lessons I want us to take this morning and hopefully if you're doubting God's love it'll just give you a better understanding of how God loves and how he has shown that love and maybe we can break some cycles here today and so the first lesson that I want to talk about today is that misunderstanding God's love leads to doubt and sin misunderstanding God's love leads to doubt and sin when you do not understand how God has demonstrated his love yeah you're going to get in despair and, and you're going to go off the rails so to speak but you look at the passage that we read, and God in his great love and mercy and grace, he, give, he begins this prophetic message declaring his love for the people of Israel. I have loved you. And that in and of itself is the best news anyone could ever hear. I have loved you. There's no better message you could ever receive. God loves you. And yet, 
in answer to this declaration by God, instead of celebrating that declaration by God, what do the Israelites do? They question him. Huh. How have you loved us? I mean, think about kind of the attitude that's behind that. You see something like that, and you can't help think about maybe kids when they're acting a little spoiled, bratty-like. You know, you may have taken your child all around town. You did all these neat things. You run into the store to get something real quick. While you're in line to, to check out, they say, I want this candy bar. You dare tell them no. So what do they do? They start crying big crocodile tears. And they make accusations against you like, you don't love me. If you loved me, you'd give me that candy bar. <laughs> I'm weird. But that's what they do, right? Well, I don't know. Some of you are like, what do you mean kids? I know some adults who are like that, man. But here's God. God says, I have loved you. And all the Israelites can do is like, oh, really? How have you loved us? Because it sure doesn't seem like you've loved us. Why in the world would they say something crazy like that? Because like the spoiled kid, God didn't do for them what they thought he should have done for them. Because they had this idea of love, whatever this idea was. And when God didn't fit into that particular box, then they just kind of mentally and spiritually checked out. They just walked away from God. Well, if God's not going to do what I think he should do, I'm just going to do my own thing. Because they misunderstood God's love. They thought that their concept of love is God's concept of love, but it's, it's not. They replaced God's love with their own criteria, what they thought it should be. And then God didn't measure up to their criteria. Hence, that must mean God doesn't love us anymore. Or he doesn't love us, period. So what was it they were expecting? They were expecting to become a rich superpower that had influence over all the world's affairs. They were expecting to become a nation that loomed large over the ancient Near East and all other nations just bowed to their greatness. And they thought that, well, God has restored us into our land. I mean, he has brought us back out of captivity, so that must mean that's exactly what God wants. But instead, what they found was they were relatively poor economically, and they were still under the political power of a, the dreaded Gentiles. I mean, they, they just kept training Gentile overlords. They go from the Babylonians, well, really the Assyrians to the Babylonians, to the Medo-Persians, then they'd go to the Greeks, and then they'd go to the Romans. But, so, wait a minute, we're supposed to be this great superpower, but we're under the yoke of the Gentiles. Well, since that's the current situation, that must mean that God does not love us. So they had their own expectation of what God's love ought to mean. And when it didn't happen, they doubted God's love, and they started having a little spiritual lethargy, if you want to call it that, which then led them to just sin. They just led, led their own lives. They just, they, they just like, well, I'm, we're just going to do our own thing. And that's what leads really to the message of the book of Malachi. 
God didn't do what they thought he should do, so they doubted his love, so they started living for themselves, and they became obedient or disobedient to God's law again. And so the, in the rest of Malachi, God is confronting them about their sin. They started giving God the leftovers and worship rather than the best. Their leadership didn't instruct the people in the ways of the Lord, but gave them psychological pep talks or something like that. They treated marriage lightly and went in and out of relationships like changing clothes. They stopped giving their tithes to the temple, which God commanded them to do, and instead they became greedy and hoarded their stuff. God didn't do what they expected him to do. They doubted God's love, and so they used that as an excuse to live a disobedient life. And here's the thing. We create our own checklists. Well, if God loves me, he's going to do this and this and this. And if God loves me, he's going to make sure that this, this, and this doesn't happen in my life. Now, you know, all of us have different fill in, you know, things to fill in those blanks. One person over here has different things to fill in the blanks. One person over here has different things. He'll do this and he won't do this and that's how he is going to love me. But then all of a sudden, God doesn't do what you expect him to do. God doesn't check off one of your boxes. God allows some hardship into your life. And so what do you do? You become bitter toward him. You start to take on an I don't care attitude and then the drift begins. Well, I don't want to hear the word. I don't care what anyone says. I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, and then you hear someone like a preacher or somebody else say, God loves you. And then, if you might say it out loud, you might just say it in your heart, oh, really, how has God loved me? If God loved me, he'd have followed my list that I made. But he didn't follow my list. So that means he doesn't love me. And then it might be a conscious decision, it might not be. You just, your focus gets away from God, you drift from God, you start compromising on biblical principles, you doubt God's love, and it comes from a misunderstanding of God's love. God's, here, I'll give you the short version, even though I'll obviously go longer. God's love does not entail checking off your boxes. But God shows you love in other ways. And we'll talk a little bit about that more. We want to break that cycle. But the second lesson that I want us to look at today is that God's love is established through covenant. God's love is established through covenant. I've loved you, God said. People say, how have you loved us? Well, God answers the question. Isn't Esau Jacob's brother... Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Now we hear that and we cringe. We're like, eh, why does that have to be in the Bible? I mean, God is a God of love. We, 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 we don't want to talk about him hating people. Because if we talk about God hating people, that just feeds into the critics. What they're saying about God, see, God is a moral monster. He hates people. Well, first off, God doesn't care about the opinions of unrepentant unbelievers, and frankly, we shouldn't either. But second, it is exactly because he has a holy love that he hates. 
because if anything is worthy of love, you will hate its opposite or you will hate anything that does it disservice or ruins it or something like that. So for example, we love children, therefore we hate child abuse and child exploitation and abortion. God loved Jacob. He hated Esau. Why? Because God chose to continue the Abrahamic covenant through Jacob. He didn't through Esau. This was known by God. God is eternal. All these decisions are based on his eternal character, which is impossible for us tiny little human beings to fully understand. But even before the twins were born, God revealed that the older, who was Esau, would serve the younger, Jacob. Jacob would be the chosen line through whom God would make a people. God established covenant with Jacob. He did not establish a covenant with Esau. Now, you know, I use that word covenant a lot. But there's a reason why I use the covenant, word covenant a lot. One, that's how God establishes relationships. He establishes relationships through covenant. And two, that's the structure of the Bible. The Bible is the story of redemption as it moves through the various covenants. And so, yeah, covenant is very important. That's how God establishes his relationships. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two people that has promises and consequences. A biblical covenant is an agreement between God and a person or God and a group, and it sets the boundaries of the relationship between the two. God had a, a covenant with creation. God renewed that covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham. Then he continued that covenant through Isaac, who then, and then continued that covenant through Jacob, and then to Jacob's 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, by making covenant, God is showing and establishing his love. Because he has a people that he has relationship with. God loved Jacob because he had a covenant with Jacob, therefore he had a relationship with Jacob. But God hated Esau because he did not have a covenant with Esau. He did not have a relationship with Esau. Jacob was God's holy lineage. Esau was not. Jacob was in relationship with God. Esau was not. And we hear that, and something still doesn't sit right with us because we expect God's love to be... So this is the idea of God's love we have, and again, coming from the culture, that God just kind of gushes emotion all over everybody, and he's just head over heels in love with everyone, and, and he just pledges his undying love for everybody. But do you hear that description? That sounds more like a modern pop song than it does the Bible. Because it is the culture's expectations. I mean, it makes the relationship sound more like a boyfriend-girlfriend kind of thing rather than God and a holy people. That's not how it works. But, but Israel was expecting something similar. Look, God's just going to gush all over us. And he's just going to do all this stuff for us. But he isn't. So how have you loved us? Well, God has to help them understand. God made a covenant with Jacob. He didn't with Esau. And this is demonstrated by how he relates to the nations that 
were descended from those two men. Israel is the nation that was born from Jacob. Edom is the nation that was born from Esau. When the Israelites were taken into captivity by Babylon, do you know what Edom did? Edom rejoiced. They were happy that the Israelites were taken into captivity. They mocked Israel when it happened. They even tried to take over some of the land. And that incurred God's wrath. Not too long after Israel's captivity, Edom was driven from its land by some Arabian tribes and it was forced to migrate west. They actually were temporarily located in southern Judah in an area known as Edomia, which you'll find in the New Testament. But their old homeland was uninhabited. It became a heritage of jackals, as our passage says. Then the Edomites were eventually destroyed and dispersed by the Romans, never to be heard from again. And here's the point that God is trying to make with Jacob, with the Israelites. He's telling Israel, okay, look at how differently I have handled the two nations that have come from these two brothers. Edom was laid waste, and God did not and would not restore them. Even if they would try to rebuild, God says here, I'm just going to tear it down. Why? Because I'm not in covenant relationship with Esau. I'm not in covenant relationship with Edom. They were a wicked people who would be known as the people who God is angry with forever. Boy, there's a nickname for you. We are the people whom God is angry at forever. Israel, on the other hand, their land was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. They were taken into captivity. But it was as discipline for their disobedience because they broke the covenant of God. But here's the thing, God never broke covenant with them. And so Israel was restored. Edom was not. Here you have two nations in the same exact boat, both driven from their land. And God says, I'm restoring the one with whom I have covenant, the one whom I love. I am not restoring the other one, because he loved the one and he hated the other. He was in covenant with the one. He was not with the other. God shows love by being loyal to the covenants that he makes. God shows love by blessing those with whom he is in covenant. And he loved Israel with an everlasting covenantal love, and he would continue his faithfulness to them. That's all well and good. But that's like 2,500 years ago. What about us today? None of us are part of Israel or Edom. Well, here again, God loves through covenant, but it's a different covenant. It's a new covenant. And so the third and final lesson we want to talk about today is that God's love is demonstrated through Christ. God's love is demonstrated through Christ. Not by checking off boxes in our little list that we made. God shows his love through Christ. We teach and preach that God is love. But again, like I mentioned earlier, to understand his love, you also have to 
look at Scripture. I mean, you've got to go with what Scripture says. And to understand His love, you have to understand what it is that God hates. And so, as I begin to share some things with you, at first, you're going to want to burn me at the stake because you're not going to like what I'm saying. But just let me get through and you'll understand at the, at the end, I hope. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you might still want to burn me at the stake afterwards. I don't know. But here, I'm just giving you scriptures. So. Because I think once you understand God's love, how he loves, how he demonstrated his love, you'll be like, okay, that makes sense. But you have to understand his hate. Don't say God hates. Just wait a minute. I want you to consider two verses from Psalms. Psalm 5.5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 26.5. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. God hates sinners and evildoers. And that is a just reaction from a perfectly holy God. He's perfectly holy. And hate is a just reaction from a perfectly holy God against people who do not meet his law, who do not meet his standards of goodness and righteousness and holiness. I mean, I know that we love the cliche, cliche, if I could spit that word out, the cliche, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But we have to be careful with that because you have to consider this question. Who does God send to hell? Does he send sin or does he send sinners? Sinners are sent to hell to receive his justice because they are not holy. They are sinners. They are lawbreakers. Sinners, lawbreakers, are the object of his holy wrath. And it is perfectly right and just for him to do that. Because he himself is perfect and holy, and sinners are not. And you don't like those verses. And you want to wipe them out of the Bible. I don't like them verses. I'm just going to cross them out. Just get a marker or something, cross them out. Well, you can't. It's in there. But then you read those verses, and then all of a sudden something clicks in your head. Wait a minute. I'm a sinner. That means God's wrath and anger is against me. That's right. Because everyone is a sinner. Me, you, everyone but Jesus. God hates wickedness and evil, and he hates the wicked and the evil. And I am one of them. I'm one of them. I am one against whom the wrath of God was against. There was a point in my life when I was the object of God's anger, wrath, and hate. That's not very good news. Boy, this is a real uplifting sermon around here today. So where does God's love come in? Wait a minute, you're, you're, you're preaching a message about God's love and now you're talking about hate. Well, just wait a minute, we're getting there. So where does God's love come in? Let me first tell you where it does not come in. 
The world that does not understand the love of God thinks that the meaning of God's love is that God just overlooks sin. He'll just pat us on the head and tell us to do better next time. The world's idea of God's love is that there is no hell because God is just so infatuated with mankind, he would never send anyone to hell. But when the world teaches that about God's love, it ignores and it actually cheapens God's holiness and righteousness and perfection. And by cheapening those attributes of God, they actually cheapen God's love as well. But the scriptural concept of God's love takes into consideration his justice, his wrath, and his holiness. Because those are attributes of God. But how? How can God's holiness and love coincide with one another? I'm glad you asked that question. Because the answer is the entire point of the Bible. It's the entire point of God's plan of redemption. God shows his love for humanity through one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the epicenter of God's love. God doesn't love us by just letting us live our lives however we think we should live our lives. God loves us by providing a means of salvation that satisfies his justice and wrath and holiness, and it offers us forgiveness. You say, if God loved me, he'd make this happen and that happen. He'd prevent this thing from happening and he'd stop that thing from happening. But the Bible does not say that. The Bible consistently says that God's love is demonstrated one way through Jesus Christ. And all who believe in him are brought into covenant with God and God remains faithful to his covenant and remains faithful to his people forever. So consider some Bible verses. Let's spend a moment on the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, most major translations say, for God so loved. And we think that the word so there means, oh, he just loved it so much. But that's not what the word means. A more literal translation would be in the manner. This is the manner. This is the way that God loved. This is the manner by which God showed love for the world. That he gave his son. That's how God shows love. God doesn't love by taking away all the evil and pains and trials in this earth, although that love will be shown to us in glory. God shows love by giving Jesus. This is shown in other verses. Consider Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Consider 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love comes through Jesus Christ. That, again and again, how does God show love? He gave Jesus. How does God show love? Well, Christ died for sinners. How does God show love? He gave Christ so people could live. God's love is not shown through physical blessings nor having your best life now. 
When you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God, you are in covenant with God, and you receive untold spiritual blessings that follow you into eternity. You're in covenant with God. He loves those with whom he is in a covenant relationship. And so when you want to experience God's love, you say you want to experience God's love, then come to Jesus. God's love, unlike all the pop songs, God's love is not some sort of warm, fuzzy, emotional high. God's love is a fact that is based on the actions of God through Jesus Christ. And this is how he shows love to the entire world. It is the love shown through Jesus Christ, where he is made great above Israel and beyond the borders of Israel. That's what verse 5 in our passage says, right? Your own eyes shall see this. You shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. How is he great beyond the border of Israel? Because he sent Jesus Christ. Now, you hear all that and you're like, boy, that sounds like theological stuff. That sounds so distant and cold. So consider this. Make this personal. God so loved you that he sacrificed his own son for you so that he could make a covenant with you and love on you for all of eternity. God did not demonstrate his love for you by giving you all you want or keeping you free from trials. God shows his love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That is the love of God. That's the scriptural version of the love of God. There's a story about a pastor who announced that on a Sunday evening he would have a special service and a special sermon about the love of God. And it was a cold, wintry night, and so the pastor actually turned the lights off in the sanctuary, and as the shadows fell and the lights ceased to come through the sanctuary windows, and the congregation gathered together. And on the stage, the pastor had this large painting depicting the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but it was completely pitch dark. And in that darkness, the pastor lit a candle, and he carried that candle to the painting. And he used that candle to illuminate different parts of the painting. And so he illuminated first the crown of thorns. He then illuminated the nails in Christ's hands and feet. He then illuminated the wound on the side of his body from the spear. And in the hush of that time, you know, the big hush fell on the people. The pastor blew out the candle, and he walked out of the sanctuary because there was nothing more that needed to be said about the love of God. If God loves me, he'll, he'll be all warm and, and fuzzy and everything. No, God so loved you. He gave you exactly what you need. And he did not give you what you deserve. Oh, God didn't do, do this for me. He didn't do that for me. Do you want to continue to sound like the spoiled brat? Or will you celebrate in the fact that God took care of your biggest problem and gave you something of eternal value? Somebody get excited. I mean, what more do you want? See, that's the problem about our day and age. No, I want more. 
I want more. Give me more. That's not enough. Give me more. We are the most discontent people in the history of the world, I think. You got Jesus. What more do you need? Yeah, but, but I might die. Guess what? We're all going to die one day. But guess what? If you have Jesus, you got eternal life. You're going to be with him forever. Oh, I got these health problems. Yeah, me too. Boy, I thought 40s were hard. Man, I turned 50 and I'm just like, eh. Guess what? I won't be complaining about my feet hurting and my hips hurting and my back hurting and my knees hurting and this hurting and that hurting and the other thing hurting. Guess what? Yeah, you know what? For another 30 years or so, if God so gives me that, I might be complaining about that stuff. But a thousand years from now, no, I'm not going to be complaining. I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because God so loved me. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins and give me eternal life. He did the same for you. Christian, will you stop being just so, excuse my language, bratty? Stop looking at the world to tell you how God should love you. Look at what Scripture says about how He did love you. God is saying to you, I have loved you. And you say, how have you loved me? I gave my son to die for you. And you're going to cry about more. Christian, let's come to the altar. Let's repent from this misunderstanding of God's love, because that misunderstanding could lead us down a terrible road to doubt and to sin. But if you have never given yourself over to the love of God through Jesus Christ, today is the day we're going to have an invitation. I'll be up here, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then you will truly understand God's love for you. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.